It is good to open the word together. Good morning. Uh, I'm Pastor Jerry DeHart, uh, a pastor of Chesterland Baptist Church, and I want to share a couple of things before we start this sermon together. Um, first of all, is next week we'll get together and we'll fellowship in the church, the deacons, deaconesses, and trustees, and secretary and I have been busy getting the uh, church ready for your coming, and uh, we look forward to being together again. It's our first trial run through this COVID uh, virus season, but uh, we want to be careful. Invite you to come if you feel free, if you feel uh, comfortable, and you're not sick, and you'll get some information this week, uh, one way or, or another, about how we're going to handle this. And so, uh, that's that's good news. Uh, the second piece of good news is. Uh, we have two new ears among us. Uh, they may be listening to the sermon. They may not be. But I want to welcome Gordon Dale Granhoff. Uh, this is uh, Brian and Valerie's uh, newborn boy. Came into the world last week. Is Dan and Joan Headley's uh, a new grandson. So congratulations, congratulations to them. Everybody's doing well. And uh, Gordon come in at 20 inches long and eight pounds and two ounces. So he's a he's a keeper, and uh, we're glad for, the, glad for that. As we begin, uh, let me just share with you a passage in Isaiah 49. Uh, Isaiah 49, 1 through 6. Listen to me, islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. And he has made me a select arrow and has hidden me in his quiver. And he said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, in order that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. And he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations. Isaiah 49, 1-6 May God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Today's sermon is from Acts 14, 44-52. And I have called it the Gentile joy in Antioch. We begin picking up from last week, where we find ourselves with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey in 46 to 47 AD. You remember that Paul gave his first sermon, his longest sermon there in Antioch, Pisidia. And he said to them, he says, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Fellow children of Abraham, and you who fear God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. 
And then he says, for the third time in that sermon, Therefore, brethren, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. As Paul is starting his message to the Gentiles, he's picking up the theme of Isaiah, where he's going to those nations that are far from Israel, not only to bring back Jacob, but to bring back the nations and those that are uh, God-fearing, heathen, pagan, uh, agnostic, those who infidels, those who don't have faith in Christ, but are worshiping idols and and so on and so forth. And so as we pick this up, uh, we begin in uh, uh, verse 43, when Paul left uh, Antioch, the synagogue at Antioch, he says in verse 43, now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who began speaking to them and who were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Paul explained in his sermon the whole history of redemption from Abraham to Jesus. Paul explained acceptance, forgiveness, and grace were based on the person of Jesus and not on performing the law. But many urged, uh, many believed and urged Paul to keep talking about this grace uh, next Sabbath. And so we pick up that invitation to to uh, hear more about what Paul was saying. Uh, and in these eight verses today, you're going to find that we're introduced to missions, the mystery, and the manifest work of the Holy Spirit, even in this small little section. And so, by the grace of God, uh, we are going to hear a little sliver of this first missionary journey that will give us insight <clears throat> for us today. Acts 13.34 On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what Paul was saying, and they heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject and repudiate it, and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they honored the word of the the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as, as a warning to them, and they went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You remember back about a year ago when we were studying the book of Ephesians, I said the purpose of God was to bring an integration in the cosmos. When we pray uh, the Lord's Prayer, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The idea that God is bringing all things together in heaven and earth, in Ephesians 1.10, to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth 
under Christ, Ephesians 1.10. And this is the mystery, that through the gospel of the Gentiles and the heirs are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. What God's Spirit is doing is what Christ came to uh, do, <clears throat> is to start a church of the called ones, the people of God. And here uh, in this passage, you see Paul and Barnabas actually manifesting the work of the Spirit in bringing the Gentiles into the body of Christ. This new humanity, this new community of faith, comes into existence after listening to the Word of God, and it's the result of the Holy Spirit opening people's hearts and minds to love and follow Christ. This new humanity exists for eternity, and it reveals the fact that they know the living Christ, that Christ offers life, and that life is in a relationship for all eternity. John seventeen four. You remember the story where Jesus met the woman in Israel, north in Samaria, the, Samar- uh, the woman at the well. And uh, they were talking about worshiping a God, and the Samaritans said, we worship north in our place, and you guys, you Jews, worship in Jerusalem. But Jesus said something to her I want to pick up on in John 4, 23. Jesus said to the woman, you worship that which you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And basically it was saying to the woman, it's not about location. It's not about the manner or the method that you worship. But the idea is that if true worship of the living God is going to come from the Spirit and is going to come um, from the heart as people follow the truth revealed in Scripture as Christ would come uh, to reveal the Father. This is what Paul and Barnabas were doing in Antioch, Pisidia as they were teaching and and opening up the scriptures to those who were pagans or who were worshiping idols in in Antioch, Pisidia. And as uh, they would worship material objects and venerating pieces of wood or stones, understanding that their cultural local gods or the local spirits were what they were conditioned to worship, but they were man-made, but they weren't coming from, from God himself. And therefore, Paul and Barnabas knew from the scriptures, from Deuteronomy, that they were not to become corrupt and make for themselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, animal, bird, or creature that moves on the ground. And so they knew the difference between worshiping an idol and worshiping the true and living God. The Jews and the Christians worship a global, living, true, transcendent spiritual God named Jesus, who died for them and was raised again on their behalf in order to fulfill his promise of salvation. And so that's the good news. The idea that there's an an, uh, evangelion, a, a, a message about salvation, is what Paul brought to these people who never heard about Christ, never understood about Christ, but the phrase, the good news, they did understand. And so Paul would take this term 
that was a very common term used among the imperial courts of Rome. Because in that empire, uh, Augustus would have inscriptions in statues and on coins and in public rituals. They established that Augustus was the savior, the soter, who had established an era of peace. And through this savior, Augustus, there would be security throughout the world. That was the good news. That was the Pax Romana. But the problem was that Pax Romana was reinforced by military cruelty. They saw crosses and criminals uh, executed everywhere. But when Paul used the term uh, good news, he was saying that the living God had vindicated his son on that cross, and that cross was the um, symbol of him being the Savior and the Messiah. His peace would come through the overcoming the judgment and the death and offering forgiveness and freedom by accepting the grace of, of, of Christ. This Christ was resurrected from the dead, and that living Christ is the one that, Christ, that Paul and Barnabas were offering to the, the people in Antioch. And so listen again. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, Antioch Pisidia was a Roman, uh, an occupied, settled by the Romans, and uh, it was about 100,000 people strong, people from Galatia, from Pamphylia, from Pisidia, from all over. But primarily, they were not Jewish people. There was a Jewish community there as well, but it was a large city. And so in that city, there was a hunger for hearing about this word of the Lord, about this resurrected Christ. This is what Amos would say, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or thirst for water, but for rather for the hearing of the words of the Lord. And we tend to think about that with in, in terms of Israel. But it's also true that the non-believer, the Gentiles, would also have a hunger to hear the word of the Lord. And indeed, that's what gives life. Jesus would say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Life is in the word. Jesus would say it in John six sixty three: the spirit gives life and the flesh counts for nothing. But my, the words that I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and full of life. Well, the Jewish people <clears throat> took their nourishment from keeping the law, the Torah, and by fulfilling the ceremonial rituals <clears throat> and keeping the dietary laws, they could be at peace, they could be forgiven, they could be blessed, and they could be faithful in keeping the covenant promise. And therefore, they expected the Gentiles to do the same if they were to be saved. They would do the, their, um, as was customary, they had their system of belief, but what they didn't understand was this Messiah, and therefore the role of the Messiah and the purpose that God was doing among them, they, they were focused more on keeping the law than learning about the law of the Lord. What was that word? What Paul said to them uh, in the sermon previously, he says, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And so Paul would talk about the fulfillment of the law 
even as he draws a contrast between the Jews and the Christian, uh, he steadfastly maintains that the Jews are not to be in the same category as the idolaters, the pagans. In defending the worship of the one God, the chief goal of the early believers, the thinkers, was that the Jews and the Gentiles were allies. They worshipped the same God, but they didn't understand the same Christ. This is really important, because the spiritual worship of the one true God, believers who are Jews and believers who are Christians, and Gentiles would all share the same grace, and therefore all would be one. Paul would say it this way, If your nourishment and your life is found in the law, then you don't need Christ. For I do not nullify the grace of God. If righteousness comes through the law, if life comes through the law, if, if, if my faith comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Galatians 2.1 And this was a problem, because if you have life locked into a custom, a tradition, anything else besides Christ, you're going to believe and fight for what you believe. If it's in Christ, you rest. But there's no way that Christianity can relate positively to Judaism or any other pagan system of belief without purging itself of certain attitudes and beliefs that do not recognize the person of Jesus Christ without nullifying the grace given in the gospel. Jesus was not just another prophet or tutor to come along to fulfill the law, to teach the law, but he was the master teacher. He was the Lord, and he wanted his people to go beyond the law back to himself, and he wanted his people to be a light to the nations, to disciple them in grace and forgiveness and to teach others to obey him, him. So it was inevitable that a time would come when the Jewish way of life, which was law-based and confined to one people in one place, it had to give way to um, to a life that was adequate to other peoples and other lands. And so when... When the crowds, when Jews, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying, and they heaped abuse on him. Imagine a hundred thousand people. Pick your number: ten thousand, twenty thousand, fifty thousand. I don't know how many people were there. It doesn't say, but most of them were Gentiles, and therefore, among the Gentiles. And as in other places, you would hear the Jewish people fighting for what they believed, but there were those Jews who fought for the the fact that the Messiah had come and fulfilled what they were believing. But here was a group of people who were yelling in the crowd, he's a heretic, he's a hypocrite, he's a huckster, he's not even an apostle, he's a false apostle, he's against the Torah, he's not sent from Jerusalem, and he's not one of the twelve, and neither is Barnabas. He's not one of us. And you could hear the crowd being torn in, in, uh, as they listened to Paul. Well, the high priest uh, probably stood up and all of his, of his associates there, and they were filled with jealousy like they did when Peter was arrested back in Acts 5, where Peter was arrested and handed in jail. But Paul and Barnabas answered the crowd and answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. 
is to the Jew first and then to the Greek, Paul would say in Romans. But since you reject and you repudiate it, and you do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. The idea that you you re- reject it, you repudiate it, is a very strong word. It means to thrust, to cast out like you're you're casting a fishing a fishing uh, lure way out there. But it's an extension of to push away, uh, to not pay attention to the previous beliefs. It's to refuse to listen and then to reject them. Paul would say people who did that, they would do that later on. They would, uh, because of their conscience, they wouldn't keep up uh, what they believed, and they became shipwrecked because they refused to listen. This is what took place in Matthew 21 in the parable of the tenants. In Matthew 21, verse 33, you have Jesus telling the story uh, just before he goes into Jerusalem to be crucified. And in Matthew 21, uh, 33, he says, Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower, and he rented it out to the vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. And afterwards, he sent his son, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him. And then we will seize his inheritance. And they took him, and they cast him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, What will he do to these vine growers? And they said to him, Well, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. And then Jesus said, Did you never read in Scripture? Did you never read? He expected them to know the word. Did you never read in Scripture that the stone which the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone? That came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, the key phrase here in this passage, it says, verse 43, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation, producing the fruit of it. Jesus Christ is the rejected cornerstone. And because they repudiated the cornerstone, the message of Christ, Paul and Barnabas now turn to the Gentiles. And the rationale is, This is what the Lord has commanded us, for I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Jesus would say to the disciples in Matthew, You are the light of the world, a city set up on a hill. Again, you are the salt and light. You are to have an influence on this world, and therefore I've made you a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. Well, here's the story you know that reflects the fact that they didn't want to be the light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. You know the story of Jonah. Jonah is commanded by God to warn the people of the Assyrian city, Nineveh, of their impending destruction if they didn't repent of their wicked ways. But you know the story of Jonah, who is swallowed by the fish and then uh, comes up uh, out of the sea and he finally goes to Nineveh. 
But I want to ask you, why didn't Jodo want to go to Nineveh? Three reasons. One, there was a nationalistic pride that they ha- that he had. Two, there was a lack of compassion. And three, there was just a real misunderstanding of God's grace. Jonah knew, first of all, that the Jewish people of his time were also far from perfect and in great need of repentance. In fact, God had sent them numerous prophets to inspire them. And yet, they did not hearken to the warnings of the prophets. But if the people of Nineveh were to repent, how would that make the Israel feel? How would it make the people look in contrast? And the prosecuting angels would be able to say, look, these heathen over here, they, they've repented, and your own people aren't heeding your own words, even after they have been warned so many times. If the Gentiles of Antioch would believe before the Jewish people of Antioch would believe, then the Jews would be jealous that their God would be compassionate and forgive. And certainly uh, they were. When Jonah spoke the word, uh, the, the people of Nineveh did repent, and go back to Jonah three and four, Jonah two, three and four, and read that. But this is what uh, God's word had been saying all along through the prophets: "I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." That's not only for the Jewish people; it's for the Gentiles as well, upon all flesh. Um, and therefore Jonah would go outside of the city and he would sit down and watch what was going to happen. He made a shelter for himself and he sat under the shade so that he would see, and there he got angry with God because God fulfilled his promise. He was compassionate when they repented, and, and, and Jonah didn't like that. Well, Jonah didn't weep over the city because he lacked the compassion. He didn't understand what God's purposes was, that God was going to go to the islands to to get the far corners of the world. And why? Because he had compassion for the lost. Jonah did not weep over the city, but the Jesus, the true prophet, did. His heart, a perfect heart, perfect and generous love, says Tim Keller. We're talking about Jesus, uh, not excusing, not harshly condemning, He is the weeping God of Jonah 4 in human form. And Jesus did not merely weep for us, he died for us. Jonah went outside the city, hoping to witness its condemnation. But Jesus Christ went outside the city to die on a cross to accomplish our salvation. So here's the question. Who did Jesus die for? Who did Jesus die for? And another question, why is God interested in saving the Gentiles? And the answer is, because God loves the Gentiles. God loves the lost. Romans 5, 8-10, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved? from God's wrath through him. For if we were, if while we were enemy, God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of a son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now read that as though you were in Antioch, Pisidia, 
and read it if you are a Gentile. Hear that verse again. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Read the nations in there. Read it, read it however you want, but go to the bigger picture. Paul and Barnabas knew that it was possible to have a system of religion in the law, but it would be limited in its compassion or love and justice. Paul certainly knew that the law had no capacity to make him righteous, and he certainly knew, but come to know, that God was more merciful than he had understood. But Paul understood that apart from the law, the righteousness of God had been made known, to which the law and the prophets testified, Romans 3.21. So the Jews would start with the law. The Christians would start with Christ. Where do the Gentiles start? The same place. When Jesus says the words, follow me. The Messiah did not turn away from the Jewish believers, but the Jewish unbelievers turned away from the Messiah. The Messiah did not turn away from the Gentile believers. The Gentile unbelievers turned away from the Messiah. And therefore, as John would say in John 1.10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet, to all who did receive him, to those he gave, <clears throat> to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 1.10. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life that day believed. It doesn't say this in the text, but you could read this. The Jewish unbelievers were not glad, and they dishonored the word of the Lord. Even so, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. Once the believers, the Christians, dispensed with the authority of the law, it was inevitable that the Jews who continued to live by the law would be threatened by this new form of freedom. Paul would later claim by insisting on obedience to the letter of the law, the Jew could not discern the deeper meaning of the law and therefore would continue to counter the claims of Christ and to resist the Holy Spirit, as well as nullify the grace of God. But the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they expelled them from their region. Why? Because Paul had given the word. And what was that word? Therefore, my brethren, not Jewish, not Gentile, brethren. Friends, I want you to know, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed. And therefore, in Antioch, Pisidia, when Paul preached this sermon, uh, at the same time, uh, when they would believe, they would kick him out, and Paul and Barnabas would leave that city. But they would go back to that city two times in, in ministering in their other missionary journeys. I like to think that in Antioch of Syria, the disciples were first called the Christians. In Antioch of Pisidia, this was the major work of the Spirit, and they brought many Gentiles in as brethren, 
And so in Antioch of Pisidia, the Gentiles were first called Christians, though there were Christian Gentiles in other places. But in protest, they shook off the dust off their feet as a warning to them, and Paul and Barnabas moved on. Even so, those who stayed and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Even in the tension, even in the tension that they would live in that that uh, city of Antioch, Pisidia, there would be the Holy Spirit starting a movement, a church, manifesting his work among unbelievers. In these eight verses, we see the missions, the mystery, and the manifesto work of Christ among the Gentiles, a light to the nations. And therefore, what do we do with this? It's our invitation, our privileged and our personal invitation to help everyone know and experience that the risen Lord is gracious and forgiving. That's good news. That salvation is based uh, on the person of Jesus Christ and his gift of grace and is not on performing the law. Unlike Jonah, who didn't understand the purposes of God, who didn't understand the compassion, and didn't understand that, uh, that he had a personal role to, to fulfill, uh, we are to be a compassionate light of the good news. And therefore, I would invite you to trust God to make you a light also to the nations in your neighborhood and to tell someone about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here, to uplift the Son of God who came for us. I'll see you next week. Uh, and and we'll, we can worship together next week, and we'll continue the story in Iconium. God bless.